stage. Okay. George, I don't think you've got to record me. My, I've got a face for radio, so I'm not sure that's important. Hey, Carl, do you think they can hear us out there? I'm not sure. I, I normally talk very loudly, but I've been noticing that the sound really doesn't carry past the glass. I'm very impressed. So we can't go, uh, let's get ready to Modex. There we go. So we're on the industrial side, right? Make, uh, that's, that's Mobine slides. So, uh, so we're, we're there on that. But today's the industrial day. So we're going to be talking about how IoT can improve industrial situations, what we can do here. And we're going to have a longer talk about that at, a, at 11.30. So what did we learn yesterday? We learned a lot. We learned, we learned about three different methodologies about cooling. So one of the things that was a very interesting was the diversity in solutions that we saw. Um, we also talked about pallets a lot. And I know you've got some thoughts about the pallet industry and how they Oh, it's huge. It's ridiculously huge. And, and it's costly. And, it, and, you know, as a circular uh, industry, um, you know, utilizing finite resources is something that very easily can be impacted from IoT where a lot of people haven't really thought about that or built the, uh, the infrastructure up to, to deal with this yet. Yep, and it's not, only, not only pallets, but how about containers? Containers as well, sure. Well, I, I think somebody once said that the only things you're going to track are people, pets, and packages. But, you know, from a package standpoint, you know, that's nice doing a, a, a barcode scan, but what about the package on the way to where it's at. What about the shipping container? What about the quality of the contents on the way? What, right? I mean, right, there's so right. many different different aspects there. Right. The, the other thing we learned is that you and I have to change our terminology on when it comes to data. That relevant data is a nice term, but actionable data is what I actually been. am going to completely disagree with that. Okay. It has to be relevant to be actionable. So uh, that's a redundant term. Okay. Whoever okay. said that, can you tell me who said that? We will um, educate them. Six River. Um, Wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, so uh, ignoring ignoring the attack on the Irish right there. Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, let's see. What else did we learn? Uh, uh, you want to talk about you know uh, the Rami, Rommel's uh, session? Yeah, the, the morning was great because it it uh, it shared with people some of the um, you know seven or eight ways that that. Uh, People need to start this whole thing that we call IoT. Quite frankly, I hate the term IoT. We're, we're in the IoT theater talking about something that doesn't exist. IoT is not a thing. Um, it, it's, it's the correct application of technology. Right, right. And, and this is like the perfect venue to, to prove your point there because there's probably IoT all over the place except for the fact that they don't know the benefits of connectivity yet as much as they should. You know, and, and that's, that's something that's, you know, I see drone guys right outside here. I see some robotics guys right outside outside our door. We were in the elevator with some robotics guys earlier this morning that that really, they nodded their head when we talked about IoT, but then they said, well, how do we connect our stuff? When we get into a factory, they don't want us on their Wi-Fi networks. How do, how do we handle that? And, and don't know what the business plans, business models, pricing, any of that looks like. Right, right, and the, the ability to separate, separately segment the fact that there are load balance issues with Wi-Fi, this kind of naturally lets itself to private LTE or just plain LTE, or for that matter, Laura. You want I to hate Wi-Fi, right? I mean, I didn't have to. I didn't have to to climb a cell tower this morning to make a, a te text a message or make a phone call. But how many times do I have to reset my Wi-Fi router at home? I mean, it's it's it, it's like the uh, the VCRs of the, of the 70s and 80s, right? Yeah, I'm the They're wrong always guy. They're always I'm the wrong guy to talk about that because with this new service I have. When things freeze, everything freezes. I get freeze frame on the TV. I get, you know, nothing. Nothing works. So, um, let's see. We 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 don't want to talk about the relevant data side of the equation. So, because that was the next one we talked. We talked about security, and uh, my general thought, as you know, is that we keep getting complained to about security when it's not necessarily our problem for, you know, credit cards and that kind of stuff. Although, we did have the conversation about two places like a. I believe it was a fish tank and a thermometer where uh, credit cards got found going through those two. Those well, two well you know, first of all, security is as nebulous as IoT is. Is it 
security of data in motion, data at rest, the, the hardware applications, is it, is it the endpoint devices that people are utilizing to look at the data? I mean, you don't, you don't solve stupid um, by, by adding a security layer in, inside the network when you got somebody outside the network that's still got a sticky note on their monitor with their password on it, right? Yep. That doesn't fix stupid. Exactly. And, and that's like IoT. You, you know, everybody's talking about IoT and everybody's do, doing IoT, but, you know, you can't spell idiot without IoT either, right? That's, so. I noticed that. I noticed that a lot. So, so what do we got? <laughs> so, what do we got on the schedule today? What do we got on the schedule today? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's up to you. That's <laughs> uh, up to you me. You created the schedule. So, so, <laughs> so Mobin's going to give us some insight on the, on uh, on how to manage uh, uh, the focus on mitigating risk. You mean everybody is going to be singing the blues today? Everybody, yeah. I I still I still can. I can't believe they got blues as a domain. That is a great domain. So, um, so now we're gonna we're gonna be seeing the blues. We're gonna talk a lot about how we think industrial is going to take advantage with you and Steve Brummer over there. Steve, wave to the crowd. And uh, we're also going to um, have a conversation about how to take advantage of technology over with uh, with our pals. Um, Jesus, how come access? Uh, <laughs> It's a simple name. And then <laughs> from there, we've got uh, conversations with uh, Jason, right? Steve, you're going to do a, a fireside with Jason. And then, uh, and then we're going to have something very special from you and Tom Nelson. Yeah. So we've got that going on. And, uh, you know, that's – and then Fred Jens and I are going to be talking about mitigating risk as well. So a lot of this is all about industrial and how to make sure that production stays up. That's really the d what the day's about. Great. So with that said, why don't we get Mobin up here? Come on and, up, and Mobin. Todd. Gentlemen. Here. How are you? Thank you. Sure. Okay, so I guess uh, we'll just go ahead and get into it with uh, Mobin. You've had a long uh, relationship with uh, James Brim and Associates, so uh, maybe just share a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, uh, and, and your company, uh, Blues Wireless, and what you're working on. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I worked at, uh, previously, where I worked a lot with James and other, uh, yeah, Nate. I can take that. Yeah, sure. Another small company with a blue logo called AT&T uh, for a few years, and um, that's where we work a lot on IoT and and IoT in different um, sectors and verticals and use cases, and recently left to um, run this uh, s uh, startup called S uh, Blues Wireless <coughs> around enabling uh, IoT in a lot of the industrial and commercial uh, products. Very much some of the companies probably represented here. I just walked in this morning, so I'll have a walk around later today. Oh, perfect. and. Uh, so you have a, a, a business partner that's a lot of experience developing products. Uh, Ray Ozzy, can you tell us a little bit about him and his background and kind of how you two teamed up on this? How did you get the idea to Yeah, so, so Ray is amazing. Uh, uh, Ray uh, was the original founder of what we use as spreadsheets today, uh, VisiCalc and uh, was Lotus Notes. So he's a software pioneer, worked many years in uh, Microsoft as well. I ran into him. At AT&T, he sits on the advisory for AT&T, and uh, we talked a lot about IoT from an industrial and commercial developer's perspective. He's a software engineer, so he brings uh, the knowledge of what it takes from a software perspective to to enable IoT, and so that's where the conversations hatched and uh, eventually led to the creation of this company. Perfect. Uh, and so, Blues Wireless, uh, 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 note card. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, the product itself, and kind yeah. of what differentiates? What, it, what makes it different? So, so there's sort of five pillars to the to the note card. It's basically a, I should actually take it out. It's a 30 millimeter by 30 millimeter chipset. Basically, that's what it is. Um, the five pillars are connectivity. So it comes bundled with. Um, cellular IoT out of the box. Um, 
it comes with a secure element, so it's highly, highly secure, which a lot of the folks here care about. Um, it is ready with power management, which if you have an unconnected asset, you want long battery life, five years, seven years, 10 years. Uh, it comes uh, with a modem inside of it and network services. I think I said that. Um, and it comes as a certified um, uh, device. Um, uh, it, and the fifth thing, it's global. Uh, you can take it to 120 countries out of the box. So the idea there is if you want to um, get small amounts of data in and out of any industrial asset, you would embed this note card. It's very simple programming interface that an, any embedded developer or hardware developer can use, and you can get it, get your IoT up and running. Okay, and what, uh, so what is the, the need uh, for that? Why, why, why would that be necessary? There, there's some other stuff, and, and I know there's some of the problems with, with Wi-Fi connectivity that James yeah. touched on. But so as a IoT developer, when you, uh, and some of you who've, d who've done this from a either a program manager point of view or even a developer point of view would know when you start, there are many, many choices you have to get started. Um, you can choose the network technology and that guides a lot of the decisions. To your point, it's Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or whatever, or cellular. Um, and then you have to make decisions around which platform should I use? What is my security protocol? How is the data going to travel to the cloud or my applications? And what what and uh, and how do I manage the network connectivity pieces? So, um, many times, what you end up doing is um, you can build a pr prototype or a POC pretty quickly, but then you say, okay, now I want to deploy it in ten units. You can probably get that easily as well. But when you say, I want to now deploy to 10,000 units, that's where you run into trouble. And um, uh, so scaling IoT projects has always been a problem, regardless of where, uh, which technology you use. Um, specific to Wi-Fi, um, you know, many industrial companies, especially that, that are in the B2B to C space, started using Wi-Fi. Um, and they got no more than 5 6% adoption. So there's a mismatch. The, the person who needs to connect, let's say, your, your dryer or washer or whatever in a home to the Wi-Fi is the consumer. But the most benefit is not derived by consumer. I don't want to really m monitor my washer on my phone. But the most benefit is derived by the, the distributor or the OEM that's going to see how the dryer is functioning, any critical elements that are failing, any predictive maintenance. And Wi-Fi A is really bad from a security point of view, and it's also really bad from a user interface point of view. So you got no more than 6% adoption. So that was a failure. So the, uh, the options were either I build a network. I think uh, Carl talked about LoRa and, 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 and others earlier. That requires you to build a network. Uh, and it's OK if you have a contained field. So if you are doing in a, uh, you know, a farm, you have a contained field and you want to just uh, deploy a small network, two nodes, and, and run it on that farm. But to get broader connectivity of any of the assets that you want to deploy, really cellular is the only answer. Now, granted, cellular is not the best uh, from coverage many times. Uh, but the good thing is it keeps improving. Um, out of the box, you get 90% or so coverage. Um, you probably get coverage within two walls easily. It's getting through the third wall or down to the basement that you start to run into issues, and there are ways to extend that. Um, coming back to your question, uh, what are, why the need? The need really is there is a lot of complexity in IoT, and people have used IoT platforms to solve that complexity. Those are ex still complex and still very expensive. So when you're connecting a $500 asset and your cost of connecting is another $500 over a 10-year life cycle, doesn't make any economic sense to you. And that's why we haven't seen that adoption. So the, the, the problem we're trying to solve there is how do you get it down to a reasonable level of cost and complexity? Okay. And obviously, uh, there's a lot of customers around. I don't know, show of hands, how many people in here are actually looking at sort of integrating IoT type of solutions on, on their products, on, on equipment. 
any of that stuff. Is, it, is anyone here looking at doing that now? Okay. So I guess uh, so. The one of the questions then I would have is, uh, what is your target customer? Who who are, who are the people that really uh, benefit from this type of product? What type of information could they get, uh, and and how would that benefit their company? So let me tell you who the customers are not first. Um, the, the, we are specifically targeting, and, and, and not just we, but the, the, the ecosystem for, for a lot of the, the industrial is targeting what I would call um, microcontroller-based assets. So these are things that either have a microcontroller or have no microcontrollers either, and you need some tracking, temperature, and so on. Yesterday, I talked to a company that has a, uh, about this cube-size tank that tra transfers vaccines to 120 countries around the world. Um, and these are animal vaccines uh, for farming. So they have to deliver it in 120 countries. They have and all they need to know is where is it and what's the temperature. Two pieces of information. Um, and they have a, a, a small microcontroller inside that thing um, and uh, a cooling system, mm -hmm. and that's it. And they're looking for a simple electronics to connect to that to track temperature and location. So that's the kind of customer. So a lot of it is commercial equipment, industrial equipment. Um, could be fixed or mobile. Um, you know, we, we talk about... Uh, commercial refrigerators and and so on; those things are typically fixed. Um, so those are the type of customers uh, that make a lot of sense. When you're when you're building for high data rates, which big processors, Linux processors, and RTOS operating systems, and things like that, you can build a custom application just the way you would build um, application in the cloud. But when you're building with microcontrollers, you don't have the same stack. And so that's where people need help. So our customers are people who need help uh, building microcontroller-based assets. Okay. And, and a lot of the product is based around, you know, the, the low-power networks, low-power LTE, uh, NB, IOC, there's some other stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the low-power network itself, kind of what advantages they have, security, I know it's a big deal. So there's a, there's a, there's a big difference between security with Wi-Fi and security with... Uh, with cellular, um, so maybe just a little bit about that and uh, sort of what advantages uh, that the low power networks bring in terms of maybe cost advantages, other advantages. So um, now I have to put the hat off from my previous employer for a second. Um, um, again, as I was saying earlier, um, when you look at all the different connectivity options, um, cellular is really one of the top choices um, for a variety of reasons. One is, um, it's being built as a service with a certain um, amount of rigor and uh, reliability. Um, it's in licensed spectrum um, because we're talking about billions of these assets, so you're not going to use unlicensed frequencies. It's going to be licensed frequencies. They're going to they're going to network manage it. Um, so so it's carrier based solution. Uh, number two, security. These, these assets cannot be on the internet, they cannot be hackable. Um, and so uh, having cellular, which uh, where the network uh, the providers themselves are, uh, are managing the security and it doesn't go on an open port on the, uh, you know, port 80 on the internet, um, uh, allows it to be more secure. Um, global, uh, today with the CAT, uh, NBIOT and CATM, uh, each network provider around the world is building their own strategies, but now they're starting to do uh, internetwork roaming. Similar to if you remember a, a decade or so ago, uh, you, ha you could do SMS messaging in a network, but it, it wouldn't transfer the network, right? So same way um, IoT, those, those network providers are now coming together to do global roaming. So you can sh build a product in, in Thailand, ship it in Germany, deploy I in Tunisia, and if the network operators are roaming amongst each other, you can use them. So many advantages to using low power wide area networks provided by um, carriers. Okay, 
And uh, one of the things James and I were uh, discussing this morning, uh, you know, in a lot of the solutions now you have, whether it's, you know, Wi-Fi or, or other cellular, you may have one company uh, that actually manufactures the product. Uh, you may have another company that supplies sort of the, the IoT connectivity. Then you've got the carrier that supplies the network. And, you know, at the end of the day, something goes wrong, which something always seems to go wrong. Uh, it, it can, for a customer, it can turn into a, everyone yep. pointing at everyone. So maybe tell us uh, with, with your solution, I know it's, it's a little bit sort of a one-stop shop and uh, a single choke point. So how, what are the advantages of, of having a setup that way? Uh, yeah, I, I, if you're talking about uh, Blues Wireless, my company, we are not a solutions provider. We are a component provider. So what we do is we work with <coughs> solution integrators, systems integrators. Um, if a customer has one that they work with, typically they do, uh, we work with them. If they don't have one, um, we have a set of partners that we can bring forward. Um, and they would be, you're absolutely right, they would be sort of the first point of contact and then they do the triage behind. Um, but we, we are not a end-to-end uh, -end solutions provider. Um, and so looking at it, uh, and, and you talked a little bit about it a second ago in, in terms of the sheer numbers, but uh, what is right now sort of the addressable market? You know, we're looking at tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Yeah, and you know, it depends on who you talk to, right? Uh, I industrial internet and IoT uh, in the uh, commercial space is tremendous. Uh, you know, it's in the billions. Uh, I'll give you an example of one small sliver of, uh, of a market. Um, think about the refrigeration market, commercial refrigeration market, okay? It's a $38 billion industry globally, $38 billion. There's about seven segments from little fridges that are sitting in um, um, 7-Eleven or uh, a Marriott courtyard at, at the bottom to large refrigerated containers that go on ships. So all the refrigerated market. Um, they ship anywhere from 15 to 20 million brand new units um, in the market. Uh, they have uh, over, uh, I would say 150 to 200 million units out in the field today, active. So just that one small sliver of the market is you know, hundreds of millions in retrofit and tens of millions in new devices. Each one of them have a need to measure three things. What is the temperature inside my, my refrigerator? Uh, is it in, co in compliance or not? What's the vibration level? Because remember, there's a condenser and a fan. If the vibration goes above a certain level, they know something's going wrong. So that's the, the, the easiest way to do predictive maintenance on those things. And then what's the level of the refrigerant? Th those are three things they need to do either warranty management, uh, proactive uh, uh, maintenance and repair, uh, or charge for additional services. Uh, I've talked to about six companies in that space in the last three months, and every single one of them is looking for the right solution. So the market is tremendously large. Um, I think th there are obstacles as an industry that we need to solve so that it's economically viable for these companies and technically viable for these companies to do. Okay. And uh, with that, you know, a lot of the, what we came was uh, managing and mitigating risk in manufacturing. I know, I guess you had some slides that were set up. Uh, no, I think, I think this was a better conversation, <laughs> so thank you for that, Todd. But I would open it up to folks here and see if anybody has any question about either IoT in general, IoT and 5G, or any of the products you're trying to enable, or manufacturing and supply chain in IoT. Just maybe we have a few minutes left, so yeah. be good to just ask questions. If you don't ask yeah. questions, I will ask questions. Mobin, yes, sir. You said something about um, cellular being your obviously where you want to go, based on your unbelievable background. Uh, but Laura, in a factory scenario, low power, wide area, besides un unlicensed scenarios, do you have an opinion about that? Question one. Question two is, you 
not having a complete solution yourself, does that mean you have open API integration to, for any platform provider that's out there to be able to connect to the device? Yeah, good questions. Yeah, so let me answer Every the once second in a while one first. I have one. <laughs> Uh, let me answer the second one first. Yes, there's open APIs. Um, if I, I always look at the IoT solution as sort of a five-layer stack. Uh, you know, it's the asset, it's the network, it's the cloud, it's the application, and it's the insights. Um, we are in the middle three layers, if you will. Um, so, and and when I say cloud, it's cloud slash platform. Um, so w w we provide the network services and the access to the devices at the bottom end and access to the cloud on the other end. And yes, there is easy to write. If some of you sort of are developers out here, it's JSON interfaces to connect to um, to the asset. Pretty simple. It's like a printf function in if you ever did coding uh, onto a UART or I squared C port and, and the, the, the data goes into the cloud. Um, so that's sort of a, the, 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 the second question. The first question on Laura, I totally agree. There are right places for each one of these technologies, whether it's Wi-Fi in the consumerish space, um, whether it's Bluetooth, again, in the consumer world, maybe a little bit in the industrial world. Um, Laura is really good when you have a limited geography you're trying to cover and, um, and you need a low-cost solution for that geography and you're not gonna go out of that geography. So, so inside a warehouse, on a factory floor, um, uh, on a farm, uh, those kind of things. But even then, uh, you have to really do a lot of network design. You have to manage security. There's an element of network management because many times, it, if it's not mission critical, critical application, it's at least revenue critical application or a, a customer experience critical application, and so it has to be up. And so there's, so either you work with somebody who's gonna provide those network services, or you train yourself to go do that. Do you have a LoRa interface or in it, in your? No. Is there any other questions over here? The five layers, okay, that's just mine. Uh, it's not industry standard, so the caveat. So um, it's the asset, it's the network and network services, cloud and platform, application and insights. There's a question behind you, Bill. Um, so I, we do deploy um, what I, what was going to be IoT, but now it turned into full Windows because of their security, um, maybe paranoia. So, like we can't mention the word cloud to them; they don't they don't like that word. But can um, a 3G? Is it just for a, a customer that everything is on an enterprise level uh, in a shipyard? But so, can we use Three, uh, a 3G or, or one of these cellular networks in a very secure way and not do it on the cloud um, for you know, their mobile. Yeah, your choice of networks uh, is somewhat independent of whether it's an on-prem system or a cloud system. You, you can use it. Um, but security is not a one element thing, right? You know this. It, it has to, uh, the, the most vulnerable pieces is the asset itself. Is that, is that asset both physically and electronically hackable or not? Are you opening up ports in that asset? And, but when I say physical, that's also important because for example, if you left a physical port open in whatever design you have and you have a USB open port, yeah. for example, it's a physical security um, no, no, right. right? Versus a op leaving a port 80 open on the electronic interface. So both of those are important. But the, the actual, it is very difficult. In, I mean, there's, there's nothing like impossible, but it's very difficult to hack into the big cellular provider networks. You know, tho those guys protect themselves with an army of people uh, because they are attacked every day. Um, uh, people use the, what, the fake cellular towers 
that kind of a hack? No, no. They, they, there are many, many different ways. I don't want to get into that. But there's, you know, the, the, the places where a system can be hacked, uh, the most vulnerable points are the asset themselves. And then where is the data going to? If you are taking this to a cloud, to your point, and you are taking it over an open internet connection, you are open to hacks. Yeah. You could put a tunnel, a, VPC, uh, a VPN to their VPC, the data never goes over the internet, and you, you put in the right amount of um, uh, you know, uh, guards around it. You can, you can r run those in cloud. The government runs in Fed, FedGov cloud. You know, so I don't think it's a cloud versus non-cloud. It's really, is it a secure solution or not? Um, you can still use cloud. Now, there is a religious debate about it yeah. where some people say, I'll never put my data in the cloud, and those people are getting less and less and less, and their voices are becoming lower and lower and lower. So it's the right security solution. It's not that it's on the cloud or not on the cloud, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I th yeah. They're, they're one of the religious not cloud people, but I, they do have, they, they operate in the equivalent of a, of a city. Um, and they you know, all the power to them. I mean, yeah, they, they, they want to manage their own. I mean, not, not that that I if a cloud provider servers are hackable, then anybody's servers are hackable. In my opinion, again, I, I yeah. I'm of the other religion, by the way. So yeah, but th so yeah, I think uh, cellular communication when they're going ten stories up to a a, a crane, that the guy's not going to be back down for the whole day. Um, they need. They end up sort of doing this wireless to wireless um, relay. Yeah, and yeah, 3G would be much better for their application. I think so. If they could, if you could use, you. So can you use 3G and set yes. it up specifically so it doesn't go to cloud? So yes, you can. But because it will, you can have a to the network provider. You can have a direct VPN connection. So the data goes from the tower into their closed network, and there it can you can get a, a VPN connection from there to your private servers, wherever they are. So yes, you can do that. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Hang on, he's got a mic. Sorry, I came in a little late, oh. but uh, do you guys uh, looking into 5G? <coughs> 5G um, has three parts to it. Uh, there is a part about fast communications. There's a part about low latency communications. And there's a, pa a part about massive IoT communications. The massive IoT communications is uh, what you may have heard of, like CAD-M1 and NB-IoT, which is millions and billions of devices connected to the network and the low overhead associated with this. So yes, carriers and um, systems integrators and component providers like us, we're all in that part of the massive IoT. Now there is another part of uh, 5G, which is about factory floor communications using 5G fast and low latency, which is where you have less than 20 millisecond latencies uh, for control kind of applications. So that's the other part of 5G. And uh, the companies that are uh, sort of today doing most of it are carriers themselves, uh, as well as some of the equipment providers of the carriers. Um, and it's done in two flavors. Uh, one is you use the um, public network. you know, So it's the 5G tower outside from one of the carriers pointing its signal down to the factory floor here. And you have a you know, 15, 20 millisecond latency, and you do the check and you use it. And the second way to do it, they actually bring in a piece of equipment inside your factory floor. And that could be connected directly to their network, or it could be connected directly to your servers. Um, and those technologies are typically called uh, you know, NEC or MEC. It's, it's really extension of the network into a floor. It's private. Actually, uh, I should say there's a third kind of 5G, and that is using 5G almost like Wi-Fi, which is they're using this in unlicensed spectrum, like CBRS. Same equipment as it go on a tower, but it would be using unlicensed spectrum in the building, and you 
don't wire anything in the building. Your building is totally wireless, and you have 5G equipment inside in unlicensed spectrum, and you use it. Again, these are all cutting edge, leading edge, bleeding edge technologies still in very, very few places. So, so I guess my question is that um, your device, is it good for low bandwidth, low latency, or? That's correct. Okay. That's so so not we are not in the, in the high, high speed broadband or low latency applications or streaming video and all of that stuff. It's microcontroller based assets. So can I interrupt for a moment and go back to this gentleman's question? Because I just, 3G networks are being sunset all over the place right now. And really? <laughs> AT&T's in the middle of, of uh, doing theirs, but all the carriers are probably going to be done by 2023, most likely. And um, so if you're looking to build fresh, you know, I, I think what Mobin was just saying about doing something in the private space, you know, if you're sitting there on top of the crane, this might be a way for you to take advantage of getting connectivity using LTM or narrowband IoT and working that way. So I just, when you were saying 3G, I got nervous. Oh, I, no, I didn't say 3G. I said no, no, he said 3G. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, 3G. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's whatever the, the technology is. You're absolutely right, Carl. Any other questions? I guess that's nope. a wrap. No questions? No. I could ask questions, <coughs> but. <I laughs> so you were going to talk about mitigate, mitigating risk a bit, OK? You want to just? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I. The, the premise that, that uh, you and I talked about, Carl, was many of these uh, industrial companies, they have been dabbling in IoT for almost a decade now. Um, and many of the, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> it's not what you think. Um, many of the large industrial companies even started to um, put, put together these huge expensive platforms to, to build it. You know, it started with a, a two-letter company up in uh, East Coast, uh, and and then into many many others, and this, there are many that are still um, building those platforms. It's okay, we'll say GE. Okay, <laughs> um, but we haven't seen outside of automobiles uh, any uh, scaled deployments of IoT, and and there's a reason for that. And and so when I say mitigating risk, it's really about what what were the problems? And then figuring out how do we solve that problem. And it's not a one company problem, it's an ecosystem problem. Uh, we all are in our silos. I'm building the modems, you're building the software, you're building the platform, so on and so forth. Um, and, but I think the timing is right with the investments in the low power wide area networks that the carriers are making some of the uh, uh, um, enhancements in security infrastructure, um, and also the prices uh, of some of the chipsets coming down, products like uh, ours, note card coming in and binding all these things together in an easy way. So I think we're, we're sort of at that inflection point where uh, uh, we'll start to see some of these scale deployments of microcontroller-based assets beyond cars that will be in the mil millions. So that gets me into, you know, and, and James and I have this discussion all the time about edge, edge computing and where does it belong, right? And it seems like you're right there. And I keep asking the question, when do industrial controllers and PLCs basically become uh, more edge focused and more autonomous than they are right now, right? Because they're pretty simple uh, ways to manage things. So any thoughts about what you expect as a result of you deploying for the PLCs and industrial controllers? So uh, I look at the world in um, uh, maybe sort of binary. There is a, uh, there's micro, 8-bit microcontrollers or 16-bit microcontrollers, and then there is Linux computers. Um, things that are Linux computers can become what you talk about, which is they can actually do processing, they have real-time operating systems, 
Um, you give it some data or uh, have access to a stream of data and history of data, and they can make certain decisions or predictions. Microcontrollers don't do that. When I talk to companies that have microcontroller-based assets, they want a hexadecimal string to just get transmitted. That's all they really care about. They don't care about you know, edge processing or whatever. They just want everything to be sent to some central location and they'll make the decision there. So I think you will start to see that world, um, those kind of uh, two world theories, if you will, start to become more and more prevalent. Having said that, there is a third. And that third is what you called, uh, wh what carriers or cloud companies are calling edge, which is it doesn't need to go all the way from a tower to a network to a cloud or to a server, but actually within the, the carrier's network, they will do some simple processing and give you a result back. So they're bringing more of the compute power closer to you. So the edge is getting closer and closer to the asset. So I think we'll start to see some of those architectures come in as well. I've got another question over here. Uh, in a deployment uh, scenario, what's the average cost per point on a, uh, from a carrier standpoint for deploying these low cost devices? So that bar keeps shifting. Um, I don't have exact pricing, but, um, but L if you are using Cat1, you know, you have a certain price that um, can transmit a lot more data and their overhead is high, and let's say that's you know, a couple of bucks per device per month kind of average MSRP. But when you get into low power networks, LTEM, NB-IoT, those fall significantly. And on average, a carrier's price, uh, carriers have a price erosion of about 10 to 15 percent a year. Uh, you know, the price curve keeps falling. So I think um, um, I, I don't know where it is right now, but I would say it's in the less than a buck per device, less than a buck per device per month at this point. Thank you. That's Mobin, um, we saw a carrier pricing drop 48 percent for one carrier last year. You're talking about uh, about, about that stuff. Forty-eight wow. percent for connectivity pricing, and um, and it seems to be a race to zero. This is a supply chain and manufacturing show. The political environment. I don't think anybody's talked about the tariff issues. Um, also, what's going on right now with with discussion? Are we going to see that flatten out? Are we going to see prices uh, of modules go up because of supply chain demand? Every company that I've heard do a quarterly earnings call or provide quarterly guidance has mentioned um, coronavirus, whether or not it affects them or impacts them at all. So what, what do we, you know, what are yeah, guys I mean like even you a tiny for? company like ours is getting affected. Uh, there's no, there is no doubt about that because, um, you know, we, we have suppliers, you know, the note card, it's a tiny little thing, but it has 120 different parts. And they come from many different suppliers around the world. And there is some shelf inventory, for sure. And if this is a shock of 12 weeks, probably nothing will happen, or not a lot will happen, um, and it'll be okay. But if it's a longer-term shock, then th yeah, there, there are huge supply dis dis disruptions. So Nobody's immune to that. Big companies here or the small companies like us. So when we're talking about bits, billions, and cents, right? Uh, well, IoT I don't know stuff. if price, if there is a price elasticity, it's not like I can pay a few dollars more and get a resistor that I really, really, really need because it, nobody's manufacturing it. or nobody. It's like yesterday when I was taking a flight, I forgot my hand sanitizer and I went to every shop on five terminals at the airport, and I could have put a $100 bill, maybe somebody, uh, maybe somebody would sell me on the street, but I can't buy a hand sanitizer at the airport right now, and so what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Use Tito and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other questions? No more questions. <laughs> there you go. There's the man. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, well, I guess uh, no more questions. Uh, thank you, Marvin. Oh, we got one more. Not my, my loud mouth. You've been doing this a long time, like several of us. Tell us where you see things in five years. Because it's changed so much in three to five years. So we give us what you think is going to, what this is going to look like in three to five years. Yeah. Um, in my last, let's say, three to five years, especially looking at IoT, <coughs> I saw the ecosystem come together and solve the problem of automotive and fleet. And that's the reason you have millions and millions of these uh, automobile, you're seeing the start of this uh, a whole um, auto autonomous driving and all of that. Um, I, I think that uh, that's just the top of the pyramid because automobiles are in the tens of millions of units sold in the U.S. and maybe 100 million units sold around the world. Uh, that needs to come down to the next layer of assets, you know, whether it's refrigerators or containers or whatever. And, and I think because of that maturity, the industry can now take the designs, scale them down to the next level of assets. So in the next three to five years, I'd, I'd really see um, some other vertical or use case in the industry develop to millions and millions of these assets. I, I don't know which one yet. Now it could be meters. Meters are already in the millions. But it's it's more than that. It's it's it, it's all of these and each of these verticals are going to start to fall very quickly. so much of a question but like sort of in, in that area what you see coming up um, so I work in uh, time and attendance data collection and um, I've now work our company has now become a manufacturer because what used to be microcontrolled data collection devices for the purpose of communicating the data fast uh, the microcontrollers so judge for yourself how large of an industry that might be. Um, microcontrollers have gone away. The manufacturers are not making them. They've, they used to be microcontrolled specialized devices. NCR, AT&T used to make them, uh, but now gone away. So they're being replaced by IoT. And, it, and in their case, it's most appropriate because it's for the purpose of communication, that you're trying to communicate the data. But I imagine if you've got a microcontrolled uh, re smart refrigerator or uh, industrial device, even those microcontroller boards are going to go away. The manufacturers for those simple devices are going to go away, and they will be replaced by IoT devices. Uh, do you see this becoming one of the expanding use and even allowing now that it's a smarter device, what used to not communicate so much, now is part of a IoT network of communication. Um, I definitely see that when you design the next refrigerator or you design the next electronic, um, as a product manager, you're gonna think about whether it is connected or not and you'll try your best to make sure that it is connected and passing on data. So any and all of these electronic devices will be connected. So I definitely see that. How we do it, I go back to my sort of two-nation theory. If you're going to put a big microprocessor inside of it, uh, a RISC processor, and you want to do localized analytics on the asset, then you will build a, a customized board and you'll put it in there. And, and that board will have communication. It'll be like a little mini computer inside your fridge. Um, and that's fine. But if you are not going to build that, then you would have two components in there, not one, but two. One would be a modem that works on the network side, and one would be a host processor, which will be a small microcontroller from ST Micro, Texas Instruments, ESP, one of those guys. Those guys are not going away. It, it, it may be embedded inside of their larger 
control board of the fridge, but it will not be purpose built for IoT. And so all they have to do then is to say, okay, I have this board to control my fridge anyway. It's gonna turn on the condenser and turn off the condenser. That's the job of that little microcontroller. And I'm gonna give it one more job. And I'm gonna give it the job of tell me the time when it turns on and off and put it on this bus. And then your IoT, um, no, it's not the controller, but the IoT modem, if you will. Um, in our case, we call it the note card. We'll take that data and push it out to the cloud or push, push it out in whatever way you can. So I think th those are the two ways. Either you'll have a full onboard processor doing all kinds of edge analytics and, and things like that, or you'll have these 8-bit microcontrollers talking to a modem. Um, I was thinking more like in the area of but I, I don't know too much about exactly how they use it, like, but in the shipyard, you see these control panels that are these big boxes with buttons, and the machines that they're controlling are ever-evolving and changing, whatever, so sometimes they take out that box and replace it with a new box, and they have the electricians make the box and arrange the buttons and add the new buttons, and now they're adding screens, and now they've found, I mean, some of them are turning into touch screens since they have a projector capacitive touch and they can, they, then they make. Yeah, that's like a glorified box. tablet, right? That, that's yeah. what it will be. Yeah. It becomes, yeah, it becomes itself a smart device that. Th th then it's this, the, the, you know, it's a big processor operating system. It's like a tablet. Thank, Thank you, you, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, thank, thank you, Todd.